0: Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today as Pastor Kevin Dibley brings us a series, Gospel Friendships, Finding Joy and Resilience Through Deeply Devoted Christ-Centered Friendships. One of the greatest gifts of the Christian life is the gift of Gospel Friendship. We were not made to live this life alone, and being faithful to Christ in a world of sin, hardship, and disappointment is challenging, to say the least. The Apostle Paul writes to the Church of Philippi to express his great joy in their deep friendship and sacrificial partnership in his life and ministry. He writes them not only to thank them, but also to encourage them to not let their dedication to one another waver. One of the great joys of being a Christian is having other Christians in your corner helping you live for and to love Christ supremely. During this study, we're going to look at Paul's friendship letter to the Philippians, and we're going to learn what real gospel friendships look like. Do you want a good gospel friend? Are you willing to be one? Let's worship together.
1: Amen. Well, I invite everyone to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 1, Philippians 1. I want to thank the uh, worship team for... Leading us, thanks Gabe for shepherding us uh, into the presence of the Lord and raising our hopes through the word and through song. I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. And uh, as I uh, do that, why don't you um, pray over your heart, pray over my heart, pray over the church that the Lord, the theme I want you to hear that the Spirit of God put on the service today is the theme of freedom. And so I want you to be praying for the freedom that only the Holy Spirit can give. So listen to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, Paul writes, has really served to advance the gospel. Isn't that great news? Just to stop and pause there, the Apostle Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that what has become So Father, give us the joy of the Apostle Paul, which is the joy of the Holy Spirit, which is the joy of Christ. Give us, dear God, a joy that is superior to our circumstances. Liberate us, dear God, from the limited vision that causes us to struggle and causes us, dear God, to flee and causes us, dear God, to fear. Free us, dear God, by the triumphant Ongoing powerful work of Jesus Christ for his glory and for the good of the church. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Gordon Fee, in his commentary, makes this statement although suffering, Paul is scarcely languishing in prison. I like that line. If you're reading in Philippians and all the way, Paul's in prison, but But of all the people that are not struggling in prison, it seems, or in Paul's circumstances, it's the Apostle Paul. And uh, as we make our way through Philippians, I began last week and the week before to say that one of the things that we are focusing on in this study is gospel friendship or gospel partnership. And the Apostle Paul, as he is writing to those that he loves, and he explicitly calls them his dear friends, chapter 4, he calls them his joy, he calls them his crown, while he's writing them and giving them this letter of great encouragement, we need to be reminded at times where Paul is. Paul's in prison, and Paul is limited in his mobility, And he's not living in a luxury suite off on the coast of the Mediterranean, although he's near the coast of the Mediterranean. But the Apostle Paul has been locked up and limited because of his boldness for the gospel. Yet the Apostle Paul is resounding in his joy. He is the encourager. Paul has some sort of freedom that allows him to carry on his ministry under difficult circumstances without feeling the constraints and the oppression and even the darkness and evil that's around him predominantly. There is, in this letter, a liberty that the Apostle Paul has that he wants you to have and he wants me to have, the liberty of joy in the Lord. Now, as we read in the section that we're going to study today, prison is not Paul's only problem. Paul is also got... People problems. And in the section that we're studying today, it's not just people problems that you might expect from those who are opposed to him, but Paul will say in the chapter, the section we're studying today, that his problems come from brothers and sisters in Christ. You ever had that problem? I think this is one of the most disabling things for Christians is to be living for the Lord and discovering that those who are to be fighting alongside you seem to be fighting with you. Those who are supposed to be for you seem to be against you. And for the Apostle Paul, he is in prison, and you got to imagine, he's pouring his life out for the gospel, and word trickles to the Apostle Paul in some way or another that somebody's bad-mouthing him, that he's being misrepresented There are those who are brothers, who are involved in the gospel ministry, who are not for Paul, not supportive of Paul, but are speaking down and are in competition for him. That can be one of the most difficult things, and I think it's one of the reasons why many Christians are reluctant to engage in the church. I think there are many Christians who are reluctant to truly get involved in the community of Christ because they've been burnt at some point in time. They've been discouraged. And it's one thing for you to be wounded by those who are clearly opposed to what you believe or stand for. But it is awfully disorienting when it catches you off guard. When it comes from a corner that you didn't expect it to come from. The late R.C. Sproul wrote one time that, he he wrote these words, years ago I received a letter from a friend who is a pastor at a church in California. I can almost guess who the pastor is, but I might be wrong, so I won't say. But he says, years ago I received a letter from a friend who's a pastor at a church in California. in, In it, the pastor included a copy of an article that had appeared in the Los Angeles Times Although the article included a photo of him standing in his church and holding his Bible, it was basically a vicious personal attack against him. And so I just want to pause there and say, here's R. C Sproul. He gets a letter from a friend of his who's being attacked in the press. And at one level, that's discouraging to be misrepresented in the secular press. But then R.C. Sproul makes this comment about the timing of this letter that he received from his friend in California. He said, when I saw that picture and read the article, I, had a, I felt a great deal of empathy for my friend because I had recently had a similar experience. A person I believed was my friend made some very unkind statements about me publicly and word had gotten back to me. My feelings basically vacillated between despondency and anger, even though I know knew I needed to respond with joy, and so he uh, puts in what he was writing there, the text in Matthew chapter five, verse eleven to twelve, when Jesus says, "Rejoice when you're persecuted for my name's sake." Now, rejoicing when you're persecuted is good theory and difficult practice apart from the help of the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ, right? It's difficult. Even R.C. Sproul, (laughs) mature and theologically astute R.C. Sproul, wrote that it moved him between despondency and anger. And I think that's true for many people. But what is it about the Apostle Paul that allows him to, To have the opposition of the world in terms of his imprisonment, and then the difficulty of friends undermining him in his ministry and agitating him in his ministry, and yet being filled with joy. John Stott says, As long as the gospel goes forward, Paul cares nothing for himself. Got that? What is it that gives Paul his joy? It's the gospel. It's the advancement, his joy in the advancement of the gospel. Oh, that we could get there. And how do you get there is the question. You know, there there are mature moments in the Bible. This is nothing new. There's this beautiful scene, powerful scene, painful scene. You can... Feel the angst of the scene when Joseph in Genesis chapter 50 at the end of the book of Genesis has his brothers come to him. His brothers who sold him into captivity because of their activity left him imprisoned in Egypt for many years, caused him a great deal of agony and his brothers come to him after his brothers have wronged him and they ask him to have mercy on him. Lying of course that their father told him to have mercy on him. And Joseph responds with these words, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You see, that's, that's the perspective. He says God meant it for good to bring about many pe- that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now, as, as we come into this section in Philippians chapter 1, talking about gospel friendship and wrestling with the with the reality that there are challenges to our partnership in the gospel and the challenges are hostility from without and disappointment and betrayal from within, how does the Apostle Paul get his joy? And the joy we're going to see for the Apostle Paul is that you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. It is that God is at work in all these things. And the scripture echoes with this story of betrayal. You read it in the Psalms. You feel it in the life of David. David in Psalm chapter 41, verse 10 says, Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. And who, of course, is that foreshadowing? Our Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ, who was betrayed, abandoned by His friends, betrayed by His inner circle, going to the cross. It's an echo of this. But here is what we see. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're told that we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising its shame. There is a joy, there is a freedom of joy that liberates the Christian so that we can live for the gospel and live in community as the people of God, even though there's all kind of risk of pain and problems along the way. So my question simply this morning is, where does Paul's joy come from, this abundant joy this rejoicing that he articulates and expresses where's this freedom come from first of all in his pain in his imprisonment sorry and then secondly in the pain of problem people and i'm going to break it up and look at both of those things so let's begin with the first part of this section of scripture where paul articulates the the joy he has because of his now i want you to hear this because of his imprisonment and You and I need to hear this because the way that Paul writes is not that despite my imprisonment, I still have joy. Isn't that how we do it? Isn't it true that we try to find a joy despite our circumstances? Now, that may be something that's possible to do, but that's not what Paul's doing in this letter. Paul is actually rejoicing on account of his circumstances. In the midst of his circumstances, not despite his circumstances. He's not dreaming of sunny days, sitting in prison. He's not just sitting off and, and, and remembering fond memories of days gone by with sweet Christians sitting around the campfire and singing songs together. He's actually seeing the providence of God in the midst of his imprisonment. And so listen to what Paul says about his imprisonment itself which gives him joy. He says in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me. What has happened to him? He's been thrown into, I believe he's been thrown into prison at Caesarea. And so on his, if you read through the book of Acts, he was making his way towards Jerusalem. And when he got to Caesarea, he had a prophecy was made over him that told him that chains were awaiting him. And when that prophecy was made, all the believers at Caesarea tried to plead with him not to go to Jerusalem. Did Paul turn back? No. He pressed on in the middle of that prophecy because prison was not a problem. The prophecy indicated to him that the prison was part of the providential plan of God. And so he sets out on the trajectory knowing that chains await him. And he says, I want you to know in verse 12, that what has happened to me, his imprisonment, has served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. And so Paul is at a place... Where there is a royal guard, an, imp- an elite guard placed over him and near him. And as a result of that, to them and to all the rest, it's become known that his imprisonment is for Christ. So here's the two things I want you to see that initially give us a window on Paul's joy and the freedom he has. Here it is. Who's the freest person in Paul's imprisonment? It's Paul. The, the freest person, the freedom here is the freedom that he has in knowing that this is not random accidental, this is not incidental, but rather what Paul says is because of his imprisonment he has had access to share the gospel where he couldn't have had if he didn't have his imprisonment. And here's what I want you to encourage you to do in your uh, reading time this week if you get some time. Read the last few chapters of Acts chapter, the book of Acts. Go to Acts 26, Acts 27, Acts 28 and see the remarkable opportunities afforded to Paul with Felix, with Festus, with uh, King Agrippa and his wife. Paul preaching the gospel to people that he could not have preached. And so the first effect of Paul's imprisonment is that the doors opened wider to him for the gospel. And that gives him great joy because that's his dominating desire so uh, when when you think of this I want you to f- think for a moment when I was studying this text I thought of Paul's writings here writing here in verse 12 and 13 especially verse 13 that Paul talks that the level at which he had opportunity to share the gospel he had never had before his imprisonment that he was he was sharing the gospel to the to the Roman governor to the 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 king of the Jews, the Judean king and his wife, as, long, as well as the Praetorian guard. And, and so the, the height of his gospel preaching was at a pinnacle. This was the pinnacle of Paul's preaching in terms of where he was getting access in terms of the kingdom. How many of you have preached the gospel to the president of the United States this week? Or, you know, to whatever country or to elite. How many people have access like that? Paul has access to the power brokers of the region at that point in time. Listen to Gerald Hawthorne's description of what's going on in Acts chapter 21 and later. He says, when Paul was arrested in Jerusalem in Acts 21 and, shot, and, and shot, um, put, shut away in prison in Caesarea in Acts chapter 23 and 24, one could easily imagine that this was the end of his ministry especially as his imprisonment dragged on month after month. And so just to give you context, Paul ends up in prison for two years. Now remember, there were people telling him, don't go there, you'll end up in jail. It'll what? Hinder the gospel. But Paul goes. Now he's in prison for a couple of years. Now listen to what Hawthorne writes. But in the providence of God, the place of his imprisonment, the praetorium of Herod, and the length of his imprisonment, Both served to thrust the gospel into higher levels of Roman society than it had ever reached before. Roman military officers, Chiliarchs and Centurions, so those are rulers of a thousand and a hundred, as well as Roman soldiers in Jerusalem and Caesarea heard the gospel. Two Roman governors, Felix and Festus, along with King Herod Agrippa and their wives, heard Paul speak about faith in Jesus Christ. One of these governors, over a span of two years, often sent Paul to converse with him. News of the celebrated prisoner and his teaching must have spread through the Praetorium Guard and the rest. So for me, what he's saying there is, if you read the book of Acts and Paul, his imprisonment took the gospel to levels that had never been before the opportunity that was afforded to him. And so that's what I meant by the height. And then there's the breadth. He just says this sort of overarching sort of simple statement. It went to the whole Praetorium Guard and all the rest. (laughs) And you just got to imagine that the talk of the town was this Jewish Pharisee religious leader who had been arrested because he was committed to loving the Gentiles. This Gentile loving arguer for the resurrection from the dead who announced that the Messiah had come was talking and having long discussions. The guards would have to guard him. He was chained sometimes, imprisoned, but not only that, he was marched into the very throne. And people would have to listen as Paul explains to them as he's being accused by his fellow Jews on more than one occasion who want him dead He's explaining to them what happened to him personally and how he had seen and experienced the power of the resurrected Christ. It had gone high, it gone, had, gone, had gone wide, and I want to add this, it had gone deep. It had gone deep. And this is what I mean by that. If you look at this verse in verse 13, it says, Paul says, I want you to know that it's gone through the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my, my imprisonment is for Christ. It actually doesn't read specifically that my imprisonment is for Christ or on behalf of Christ. It actually says it's in Christ. And um, commentators pick up on this to make this point, that what Paul is saying is that because of the length of time and the conversations he's able to have, he's able to express to these believers, or to these, sorry, non-believers, these rulers, he's able to express to him that what his gospel is, is an identification, a union, a discipleship with a suffering Savior. That, that his imprisonment is in Christ. Not just, he's not just in prison for the sake of Christ. He's in prison in his union for Christ. Why? Because Christ is one who humbled himself. He's going to talk about this in chapter 2. And did not think he was too exalted, but he was, take, took on the form of a bondservant and was obedient to the point of what? Death. Death on the cross. And so what Paul's saying here is you've got to understand, I'm united with Christ. I'm in union with Christ. It's Christ who ordained this imprisonment because Christ is willing to put his people in prison in order to save those who are spiritually imprisoned. Probably the freest thinking people in the culture was the king and the governor, Felix and Festus, right? These King Agrippa, these were the ones with power, so-called. They could come and go at will. Paul could not come and go at will, but he had a freedom that they didn't have. And his discipleship, and here's what, here's what depth of discipleship is. When people understand that in the gospel, what God does with his people is he binds them to Jesus Christ and makes them willing to suffer for a time so that you might be freed from your fear, from your guilt, from your shame. That's Jesus doing. That's what discipleship, that's a depth of understanding. They understood not just that he was suffering for Jesus, this is how the gospel works. That takes a little while to communicate that to people, right? Takes a little while to communicate to people, this is how our God works, this is how our gospel works, this is how our Savior, He suffers to set you free and he will let his people suffer to set you free. Gordon Fee again says, Paul does not use the preposition hooper on behalf of, but and. And because of the relationship of this phrase to Paul's phrase, my chains, my imprisonment, he is very likely saying something more about his understanding of the nature of discipleship, which means to participate in Christ's sufferings. Christ is still suffering through his body for the sake of the salvation of people. Thus he means something like it has become clear that I am in chains because I am a man in Christ and that my chains are in part a manifestation of my discipleship as one who is participating in the sufferings of Christ himself. So at the end of chapter 1 in Philippians, Paul will say in verse 29, uh, it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but suffer for his sake. What, What is he saying there? It's a privilege to suffer. It's a partnership to suffer. It's the power of Christ to suffer. And so, you know, one of the things that should encourage us when we're going through difficulties when we're going through hardships when our free apparent our freedoms this whole covid thing you and i need to understand that covid is under the providence of god and it is a in the limitations and the restrictions you know i would love to go see my kids i would love to go see my family I had a friend who wrote who can't get across the border, wanted to see family. I would love to go see my friends, I'd love to go to see my family. Those are kind of limitations. There's all kinds of limitations placed on us. When you wear a mask, when you, all these kind of things. My dear friends, none of those things are limitations when we understand that God has providentially ordained things that we might identify with Christ and sacrifice and serve that others might be set free. Limitations are placed on us so that the limitations of sin and death and guilt and shame might be removed from those who are held captive so david mathis writes brothers and sisters know that our god most certainly triumphs his gospel and his global mission will triumph he is sovereign lord of all lord of all history lord of all natural disasters he is god over the global pandemic using it towards his great purposes. He is God over every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation, I would add, for all time. He is the God and Father. So give your life to the progress of the gospel. Live on this gospel. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Identify with Jesus and tell others how they can identify with him and what he has done for his people. Paul says this imprisonment is to take the gospel deep to declare the gospel of a suffering Savior and to identify with him so that sinners might be set free. So he says that's what happens. It's widely understood, widely heard, and then he says it's also widely emboldened believers. If you look down at verse 14 and he says, And most of the brethren, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Here's one of the things, he says, people are looking at me, seeing me in prison, and watching me walk up to kings and tell them, you know, (laughs) which one was it? Felix, I think it was, or one of them said to Paul, Felix or Festus, I think, said, Paul, you're losing your mind. Your great learning is causing you to lose your mind. He said, I'm not losing your mind, my mind. I've witnessed the resurrected Savior in His power, and He declares the gospel. People heard Paul in prison, watch Paul chain, watch people watch Paul walk up and not he- without hesitation, and without fear preach the gospel. They saw the freedom of Paul in the gospel to proclaim the gospel, and they became bold. I'll give a little illustration. Just the other day, um, I received an email, a text email from my sister-in-law. Who's battling cancer up in Canada up in Canada she just did major surgery and recovered I shared it with some of you from surgery and she wrote this note which goes out widely she's well known in the community she runs the big music festival up in the city where she lives and so she sent out this letter and clearly declared the gospel just clearly told how God had been working in her and she's she's about to start chemo on Tuesday third round and she's declared it. And if you read the letter, I just read the letter. I said, thank you, Jesus. I think this is the clearest articulation of the gospel. I've heard of her faith in Christ in the middle of suffering. I've heard yet out of her. And as you're reading that, well, you know what happens when you see somebody who's in suffering? expressing the freedom that the suffering has given them, the focus the suffering has given them on the kingdom, what matters, what's eternal. And she said that I need to focus on eternity. I need to focus on the glory of God. That's what she wrote in that. And I just thought of it as I'm reading it, I'm going, and I do too. And I do too. That's the impact that Paul sees in this. Marianne was listening. We were listening. I caught her listening to a friend of mine speaking in Mexico. He trains... um, young pastors to go out into Mexican villages uh, to do church planting. And uh, she she quoted me this week because she was was giving application to it in her life as she's teaching English as a second language. She said, um, she quoted Mark, as my friend Mark Webb, says, we only have a short window of opportunity to be persecuted for Christ. We only have a short opportunity, right? And then we're free of any threat. It's interesting. Paul uses this language. He was using this language. Suffering is an opportunity to preach Christ. You got that? Where's Paul's joy come from? It's the freedom that's given to him to be bold and to see others bold under suffering to share the Gospels. Can I ask you a few questions to reflect on this morning? Because what this does for us is it asks the question, what's the real priority of our lives What's our true joy? When we're wrestling with COVID and its limitations, what are we more concerned about, our comfort or the cause of Christ? That's a question we need to ask. Are we seeing and seeking opportunities to connect people to Christ in the situations that are beyond our control, but not beyond Christ's control? You think about that this morning? Are we seeing opportunities? Seeking opportunities and carpe diem, seizing opportunities to share Jesus Christ in this environment. If we think only who's restricting me and not seeing who's placing me sovereignly in a position of opportunity that I've never imagined before, it'll change your whole attitude. We are not captive. We're free. If you're in Christ, you're free. The truth shall set you free. Let's ask the question, are we taking up the opportunities that are given, and are we talking up the opportunity for the joy of others? And all I mean by are we talking it up is Paul is telling other people here in this letter, I can't believe the opportunities the Lord's given me in prison. Why is he doing that? He's doing that to encourage other people to take opportunities themselves. I need to hear about you sharing the gospel in hard places. I need to hear my sister-in-law writing me and telling me about wanting to share Christ and thinking on eternity. I need to hear that so I might be reminded that some of the hardest places are some of the most hopeful places when we think of eternity. And so let's do that. The other thing I want to bring in, and let's just talk about it for a moment here, and, and um, it probably deserves more time than this, is what do you do? When you have problem people. Here's what happens with the Apostle Paul. Paul has, while he's in prison, while he's suffering, he's got Christians, he says in verse 15. Some people are, are preaching the gospel more boldly, but some preach from envy and rivalry, and others do it from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing I've been put here out of defense of the gospel. The former proclaim out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. We don't get a lot of details, and Paul's purposeful here, but here's one of the things I want us to see. Paul's in prison, and there's some people who are preaching the gospel because they're picking up the mantle outside of prison that Paul has had before. They're carrying on the gospel. They love Paul. They want to see the gospel gospel go forward there are other people who are not fans of paul selfish ambition they're trying to cause pain i i think i i can guess but i can't say with clarity there were people who thought paul shouldn't have gone to prison there were people who who pleaded with paul not to go to jerusalem and I can imagine people saying in your heads, what's the matter with you? You had a prophecy at Caesarea that said, if you go to Jerusalem, chains await you. And so you can imagine for Paul that there are people who understand why he went. It was for the gospel. And there's other people who think, now look at what happened. And they criticize him. Isn't that hard when people criticize you? They don't really understand your motivation. They don't have the same mind. They aren't led by the Holy Spirit to understand what you've prayed over, what you've weighed weighed over in your heart and how you got there. But here's the good news. God does give you people who understand. He does give you people who come alongside. And and so one of the things that Paul says, there are some people who join me in preaching the gospel and they do it because they love me. They understand they're committed. They're fulfilling it. Mike Riccardi writes, This imprisonment was not God's way of taking Paul off the battlefield because of some deficiency. It was a special assignment in the continuing battle. The Praetorium Guard was under special assignment from Nero to guard Paul, but Paul was under special assignment from Jesus, the Lord Jesus, to bring the gospel to the Praetorium Guard, <laughs> Right? And as they heard of his faithfulness and that special assignment, it emboldened some of them to continue Paul's mission of faithfully proclaiming the gospel in their spheres of influence. So some people get it, Paul says, and some people don't. So he says, but that's okay. Now here's what I want you to see. This is a difficult one, but what Paul actually says is their false understanding and their misrepresentation and their... These problem people actually also serve the advancement of the gospel. And, and notice what he says at verse 18. Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul, Gerald Hawthorne points out, you need to re- re- be reminded that Paul calls these people who speak the gospel out of envy and and wanting to cause him difficulty and a critical, he still calls them his brothers. It's under the category of his brothers. And, and though Paul doesn't like what they're doing, Paul doesn't reject them. But here's, here's what you and I need to understand. It's actually even in that that God's cause is advanced. Remember Jesus? <laughs> did Jesus get slandered? How, how did that turn out? He was slandered and misrepresented. He was called a blasphemer. <laughs> he was turned in by those who were closest to him. And it ended up in our salvation. God's still sovereign over slander. God's still sovereign over slander. And so Peter reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 3, or 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2, that, that Christ was, even though Christ was reviled, he did not revile in return. He didn't get in the same mode. He didn't rebel and and, and, and become all huffy and upset. He bore the slander, and because he bore the slander, he was faithful to God and did not sin, and he was able to make atoning sacrifice. Spurgeon writes, every sufferer who bears pain or slander or loss or personal unkindness for Christ's sake is filling up the amount of suffering which is necessary to the bringing together of the whole body of Christ and the upbuilding of his elect. What, is, what does that mean? Spurgeon is basically saying this. You and I need to understand that even in bearing slander, we're modeling the gospel. And even in not returning evil for evil, we're showing the power of the resurrected Christ. And we're giving, uh, we're giving in living emulation the very message we're declaring that this is what Christ did for me. Jonathan Edwards wrote, Men that have their spirits heated and enraged, And rising in bitter resentment when they're injured, act as if something strange were happening to them. Whereas they're very foolish in so thinking, for it's no strange thing at all, but only was what was to be expected in a world like this. Therefore, they do not act wisely, but they allow their spirits to be ruffled by the injuries they suffer. So all I want you to think about this morning is where does Paul's joy come from when people are badmouthing him? When people are trying to, because we need to know that. That's when we get hurt most. We're not surprised when the world does it, but when the brothers do it to us, what, what, where does he get his joy from? Well, there's two things. Number one, Paul's goal is that the gospel would be preached. The power's not in the preacher. The power's in the gospel. Paul doesn't care if they badmouth him. It's Jesus who he wants proclaimed. The power is not in Paul, the power's in the gospel. Secondly, Paul's glory is not in himself, but it's in Jesus Christ. As long as Christ is proclaimed, Paul's happy. You can defame me as long as you proclaim Christ. John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. Say whatever you want about Dibley, just don't defame Jesus. You want to preach Christ, go ahead. Preach Christ. And so all of us need to pull back and say, where's our pain? Where have we been injured? And what's our greatest concern? Is our greatest concern about what's been said about me, what's done to me, what's happening to me, or what's happening in the name of and for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? David Elves writes, In your prison, in your divinely appointed setbacks, obstacles, trials, even abysmal failures... Ask God for Paul's eyes. Be filled with the Spirit so as not to waste a nanosecond of opportunity for God's glory. How much time is wasted by people groaning and moaning that somebody's offended them? Rather than proclaiming freely the gospel of Christ because as we've been singing all, this, all morning, Christ is our refuge, our protection, our strength. We're free in Him. Renew your mind as a good disciple, moving forward in faith, looking for God to display his power and advance his program. Why? Because you've chosen to trust, unswervingly trust him. So let me just um, ask you to think for, the, for a moment this morning. When somebody slanders you, that's when you ask the, a couple of questions. Who am I really doing this for? Is this about, isn't that, when, when somebody says something about you, you find out whether or not it's about you? Or is it about Christ? And and when somebody slanders you what do you want for those people? What do you want for them? When somebody is harming you what do you want for them? Do you want do you really want revenge? Or do you want redemption? You want reconciliation, you want freedom. This is a real question, where's your hope? Where's your joy found? The question for me, the question for you is always this. It's the glory of Christ. It's the gospel of Christ. If he is preached and he is lifted up, he must increase. It's okay if I decrease. I don't care what you think of me as long as I show, represent, declare, and proclaim Christ rightly that you would see him. Is that a good word? Where's your joy? Let's pray together. And so, Father, as we um, think on this text of Scripture, it's, it's easy theoretically. It's hard practically because you take a word like this and you pierce into our hearts because we're easily wounded, we're easily self-centered. We, Heavenly Father, um, often cut off from boldly proclaiming Christ in order to protect our egos. So forgive us, dear God. We thank you, dear God, that it is in the, the prisons of this world and the providential circumstances that you caused the gospel to go forward with power We thank you, Heavenly Father, that it is in proclaiming the gospel that we see the beauty, the freedom, the joy of Jesus crucified, risen, and reigning. And that's our prayer. Let us see Jesus. Let us rejoice. Let him receive glory. He is worthy. He alone is worthy of dominion and power and majesty forever and ever. So give glory to your Son, we pray, and give help to our souls, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What if Jesus wouldn't have never whispered or shouted or cried out the words, Father forgive them for they know not what they do. He did that in order that we might be set free and forgiven. So let's be like him. Let's carry the cross. Let's have thick skin towards others, thin, or thin skin towards others, thick skin towards ourselves, bearing the burden of the cross, so that others might know the glory of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, give us strength today in the name of Jesus. Give us a willingness, dear God, to endure whatever we must endure, that the captives might be set free, that Jesus might be glorified, that we might share in his sufferings so that the gospel might go to all the nations. So give us, dear God, that hope, that joy, that resilience this week as we live as his people. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.